Welcome to the Wait Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wait Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to waitparkchurch.org. Today's reading is from 2 Timothy, and it is um, chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from the God Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Good morning. Great to see everyone out here today. What a beautiful day, isn't it? Um, it's way better than yesterday. Well, I mean, yesterday was a beautiful day too, but it was hot. And uh, I don't know if you remember, we've been talking about harvesting a new north, which was an outdoor event uh, over in North Minneapolis. And uh, I got there about 8.15 yesterday and left about 5 p.m. and was outside the whole time. And uh, ooh, I tell you, I, I managed to uh, keep from being too sunburned. But I will tell you that I was uh, heat burned, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> something like that. I came home and took a nap, and uh, it was all I could do not to sleep all the way through the night. But it was a great event, uh, really had a great time, and uh, I know a number of you came out and volunteered there, and we appreciate you guys uh, coming out and do that, doing that. Another thing I appreciate is you guys who are sitting right up front here. This is, you guys are amazing. You, you're, you're my new favorites in the whole church now, so... <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the marks of our tradition, I guess you would say, is the call for a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, you might be surprised to know, especially if you've been in our tradition for a long time, that this, is, this phrase is actually not in the Bible, personal relationship with Jesus. Now, even though the phrase is not in the Bible, I do believe that it's actually consistent with something that we see within Scripture because it identifies something that is very, I think, important in the Christian life. Now, I don't know who was the first one to use the phrase personal relationship with Jesus, uh, but it, crea- it, it corrects the error that someone is a Christian simply because they belong to a church. Is it enough just to go to church even if you go every Sunday? Is it enough to give to the church or to volunteer or to go through confirmation or just to be baptized? Of course, we would say no, at least that's not what God intends for us. I've oftentimes said that 
that grace, uh, that God doesn't offer us grace just to give us a ticket to heaven. You see, in biblical times, gifts, which is actually the, wor- the word grace, the Greek word for grace is the word charis, and, uh, and gifts were always given to start a relationship. And it's the same thing for God. God gives us grace, not just to send us off into heaven, not just to forgive us, although it certainly does that, but he gives us grace in order to start a relationship that the God of the universe, the God who created us, knows each one of us by name. He knows everything that we've ever done, knows everything about us, and he loves us anyway. He invites us into his family anyway. He wants to have a relationship with each of us, which is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. No matter who we are or what we've done, God wants to have a relationship with us. But he also won't drag us kicking and screaming into relationship. And so in that sense, having a personal relationship with Jesus is very much true to the teachings of Jesus as long as we remember just this one thing. It's that personal faith is not the same thing as private faith. You see, the danger in using the phrase a personal relationship with Jesus is that we live in an individualistic society so that whenever we say that, we will interpret it through that individualistic lens. And our individualistic society has opened the door to what many Christians even today are, are calling, I'm spiritual but not religious. In many cases, that means I have my own private faith. I don't need other people telling me what to do or what to believe. In a sense, I understand this because I know that there are many people who have been a part of churches that became toxic environments and they have a lot of hurt from that. And sometimes they're hurt so much that they get to the point where they just say, well, I would be better off doing this on my own. And that, of course, is something that churches need to take seriously. And and certainly we have created our own share of hurt for people in the past. And that's why it's so crucial for us to foster a healthy church environment. We'll never be perfect, I don't think. But we can always keep our mind out for that and try to become a church community where people's faith thrives where they don't walk away and say, I would be better off doing this myself. But if we believe that Jesus is true, then saying something like, I have my own personal faith, is kind of like saying, I have my own personal math. Actually, you even learn math in community, right? Just like you learned about Jesus in community. And that's really the point that I want to try to get across today. And I'm going to come at it from two different sides, okay? The first side is this, is, to, is for you to realize that you need the faith community. You need the church in order for your faith to thrive. And here's the other side, is that you play a critical role in the faith of other people around you. And we see these two principles being laid out in the passage that we had today from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there with me. Um, If you don't, I guess I'll read it anyway, and so you'll know (laughs) what's going on. So pull out your Bible or Bible app and uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy are both books that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor, young protege 
of Paul's named Timothy, as you might guess. Now, we first hear about Timothy in Acts chapter 16, when he was actually just a little guy. He was probably adolescent or maybe a young teenager or something like that when Paul first meets him. He's going, uh, Paul is on his first missionary journey, and he's going through the city of Lystra where uh, Timothy grew up. And Timothy's mother and grandmother, who were Jewish, came to faith under Paul's ministry. And subsequently, they raised Timothy in the faith. Now, a few years later, Paul came back through Lystra on his second missionary journey. And Timothy, who was now older, was so impressive, so impressed Paul, and had such a great reputation among the other people in the church that they even recommended. Now, maybe they had ulterior motives, but they basically said, Paul, take him with you. I think it was because he had good character and they thought that he would be a good traveling companion for Paul. But Paul was really happy to do that because he knew about Timothy's, uh, Timothy's reputation. Now, Timothy went along with him and, and sometimes he would just travel with him. Sometimes he would send him ahead to a particular city or if he wrote a letter, he would send Timothy with a letter. It seems like Uh, At the writing of 2 Timothy, he had left Timothy behind in Ephesus. And I don't know if you remember when we studied the book of of Acts, uh, Paul had a hard time in Ephesus. There was a lot of persecution, a lot of stuff that happened there. And so he left Timothy behind to kind of lead the church in that kind of environment. So as you can imagine, it was probably pretty difficult for him to do. Uh, But uh, he was a faithful worker for the Apostle Paul. But I want you to see that Timothy was not self-made. You see, he didn't develop great character and strong faith because he had his own personal relationship with Jesus, although he did that. But what I want you to see is that at every point along the journey, he had people investing in him. At the beginning of Paul's letter, look at what he writes. He says uh, this in in, uh, verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now, what you see there is, is that they have a a tight bond, right? Timothy and Paul are really tight. But then look at what he writes after this. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. So every time I pray for you, I think about you. And what I think about is the sincere faith that you have. That's a a great compliment to have from a mentor. Okay, but this next line, I want you to see very clearly here because he recognizes that that, that Timothy didn't just develop this sincere faith on his own. Okay, it comes from somewhere else. Okay, now here's what he says. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, it's kind of an interesting way for Paul to talk about Timothy's faith when you think about it, right? It almost sounds like a virus, doesn't it? (laughs) Lived in your grandma, lives in your mom, and now it lives in you, right? Uh, My wife... Has, uh, has been coughing for the last week. <laughs> and I think she just did right there, right? And uh, we were kind of wondering. And, and the first question we always ask is, well, I wonder where you got that from. But we know where she got it from. It was probably from Mateo. Where's Mateo? He's around here somewhere, 
right? He was, he was coughing on a trip back, and then Duncan got it, and then they came back from, they were at my brother's house, and they came back and, you know, coughed in Ann's face. And so, you know, it was passed along from, from one person to another. Um, and so, you know, we don't oftentimes think about it that way when it comes to faith. We don't ask people, where did you get your faith? Because most of what we do is we think, well, I'm, it's, you know, self-generated. I have my personal relationship with Jesus. But actually, when we think about it, most likely we should actually answer that question this way. Well, I think I got it from my grandma Lois, or my, my grandma, uh, from my grandma Lois and my mom Eunice. I got it from them, right? Now, of course, it's not automatic, right? Kids don't automatically catch the faith of their parents like they do a virus, Okay? But the fact is, is that kids who grow up in a household where faith is modeled and lived in a healthy way, demonstrated in that way, are much, many times more likely to grow up into adulthood with their faith intact. And so that shows you how important it is and how much we catch our faith from other people. Of course, we just did this uh, blessing of the backpacks. Um, but Abby posted on, uh, on Facebook that we were going to be doing this, and in, instantly uh, we've got, we got a reply from someone. Now, I try to stay off Facebook as much as I can, but once in a while I, I hear about it. But we got a pretty instant reply from someone, and, and their comment was this, you have got to be kidding me. This just sounds like another opportunity to indoctrinate kids, <laughs> right? which, you know, is a pretty, pretty cynical outlook when you think about it. And maybe, maybe I have his comment wrong, but I don't think I do. Um, but I wanted to ask him, I wanted to ask him, do you have kids? Like, do you ever teach them anything or do you just let them figure it out on their own? You know, you want to have your own personal math. You want to figure out your own way to cross the street. No, whatever we do, you know, with kids, we have to teach them. We have to realize that they don't just learn on their own. And, uh, you know, it's not a matter of indoctrination. I guess to some degree, all of us are indoctrinated when you think about it, okay? That's exactly what learning is. The fact is, none of us thinks alone because it's absolutely impossible. We, all, we pick it up from somewhere. We learn from the people around us. And so as parents, if you are not intentional about how you teach your children, someone will teach them something. They'll learn it from other sources. Now, Paul recognized that the reason that Timothy was a man of godly character had a lot to do with the fact, with the influence of his grandmother and his mother. And then he encourages Timothy and he writes this. Um, actually, I don't know. I don't remember what, what verse this is in, but I'm sure you can find it there, right? It's actually a pretty famous one. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. Now, it seems, and it seems to some commentators as well, that the reason that Paul wrote this to Timothy was that maybe his faith was starting to grow a little dim, that he was becoming discouraged maybe because of what was happening in, in Ephesus, or, or maybe it was just the passing of time. Sometimes, just with the passing of time, our, our faith starts to grow dim. And so he, Timothy, uh, Paul encourages Timothy. He says, fan your faith 
into flame. But notice the motivation for doing this, okay? Paul writes at the beginning of verse 6, he says, for this reason, right? So this is tying it to what was said previously. He says, for, what, for this reason. For what reason? Well, it's because you have three people, me, your grandmother, and your mother, who believe in you and invested in you and are counting on you. See, Timothy's faith mattered because he had other people in his life that were counting on him. And not only that, he had a whole church that he was leading that was counting on him as well. And so Paul says, even if you're not feeling it right now, do it for us. Even if you're not doing it, even if you're not feeling it right now, do it for the church that you're leading. Fan it into flame. We believe in you because you are worth the investment. Now, there are people in our society who would say, well, you shouldn't have to be motivated by yourself. It should be all internal motivation. And, you know, that would be great if we could always be internally motivated. But how many of you would say you're always internally motivated? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? We, we need sometimes some social pressure. I know that seems, it sounds like a bad thing in our society, but sometimes it's exactly what we need. There are many things that we don't feel like doing, but we actually do them in the moment because of someone else. For instance, I've known middle-aged men to exercise and eat right because their kids and grandkids are counting on them to be alive for many years. So here's what I want you to see. Faith is a team sport. When you're lacking motivation, you can borrow faith from others. In fact, collective faith is much more long-lasting than individual faith. Now, many of you know that over the course of this summer, we've been sharing testimonies from people, and it's just been great. This has been a great summer. Being able to hear you guys uh, share your testimonies, seeing what God is doing in your lives in the here and now, not having to prepare a sermon every week. It's amazing. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> mostly the former. Well, today we also have a testimony. We have Ashley Hepner who is going to come up and uh, let's grab the mic for, uh, for Ashley. And she's going to share um, about what led her to faith and then actually what has grown her faith. And I'm guessing that you can probably figure out even before she speaks what it is. <laughs> All right. Good morning, Wright Park. Um, my name is Ashley, like Corey just said, um, and I've been coming to church here since November. I think I've met quite a bit of you or quite a few of you at this point, um, but if I haven't, um, I'd love to get to know you better. Um, but like Corey has been alluding to during his sermon today, I wanted to tell you all about um, what sparked my faith in Christ um, and kind of what has helped me to grow my faith in Christ over the years. Um, and it was largely the uh, witnessing firsthand the fruits of the relationship my grandmother had with um, Christ throughout my childhood. Um, I'll start first with talking a little bit about myself, my family growing up, and my relationship with um, God in my early childhood. I grew up with my mom, my dad, and my sister out in New Jersey. I didn't grow up going to church, um, and didn't, my family growing up did not talk much about God throughout my childhood. My mom was raised in the E-Free Church, and my dad grew up Catholic. Um, and honestly, I can only recall going to church a handful of times um, as, a, as a young child. Um, overall, my childhood, um, when I was living with my family out in New Jersey, was fairly chaotic. My dad had bipolar disorder, and this mental illness certainly left an impact on the rest of the family. Um, his mental illness was something that at times left him very um, emotionally distant and unavailable to the family, and at other times 
um, left him in a state of like inner turmoil that made him a very angry and abusive person. He was physically and abuse, verbally abusive towards my mother, and I witnessed this abuse on multiple times, on multiple occasions throughout my childhood. Um, when I was 10 years old or so, he stopped taking his medications and became increasingly manic and was no longer able to work um, and subsequently lost his job. It was not long before our family was no longer, to, no longer able to make ends meet. Um, we were evicted from our apartment, lost our car, and struggled to have enough food on the table for a period of time. It was not long afterwards that my parents sat us down and told us we'd be moving halfway across the country from New Jersey to Minnesota to live with my grandmother. The four of us moved from New Jersey to Minnesota in the middle of my sixth grade year. And though it was a really challenging transition, it was also one of the greatest blessings of my life. It was during this time that I began to transition from a home full, a home full of conflict and disarray into a home marked by a sense of safety, stability, and love. Within a couple of months at living, of living at my grandmother's house, um, my dad moved out of the house and shortly thereafter, my parents divorced. Um, a couple of years later, when I was 14 years old, my dad passed away unexpectedly. His death came with an incredibly mixed bag of painful emotions, and the day he passed away was actually the, the first day I decided to commit my life to Christ. My relationship with God has grown so much from that moment. Over the years, I've come to know a God who loves his people so deeply that he chose to come to this earth to be with us, um, to be with his people and to walk alongside us as we um, go through painful times, um, as we go through great days and everything in between. Um, he came to be with us, to walk alongside us, talk to us, um, touch us, and save us. Um, I've come to know a God that not only died for us, but also lives for us. Um, a God that is alive and active in our world and wants to partner with us in bringing his goodness to earth right now. And of course, there are many people and experiences that have influenced my understanding of God over the years. Um, but the person I'd like to focus on today is how my, is my grandmother, Ruby, and how, sorry, there's a spider on my arm, <laughs> um, and how her faith has um, deeply shaped my own over the years. My grandmother actually just passed away at the end of April of this year, just shy of her 98th birthday. And I've been spending a lot of time over the past few months reflecting on her life and her legacy. My grandma Ruby had a beautiful relationship with Jesus, and it shaped her into the kind of person that was simply lovely to be around. Um, she was gentle, kind, and patient. She was endlessly generous with her time and her finances, and she was incredibly faithful to her friends and her family. She was somebody who was very quick to laugh and to find joy in life's simple pleasures. I love how Corey just talked about the difference between private faith and personal faith. My grandma's relationship with Christ was deeply personal, but it was never private. Um, she spoke often of her love for Jesus, but it was never in a pushy, shove the Bible down your throat kind of a way. She spoke of him more like somebody who would speak about a dear friend that she wanted you to get to know as well, um, and somebody that she was super grateful to have gotten to know deeply over the years, and a person that fundamentally changed the way she lived and interacted with the world. I will always remember the way that she prayed over every meal, um, familiar words, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, repeated meal after meal, day after day, year after year. And despite how repetitive these words could be, they never seem mundane to her, and they often brought tears to her eyes. I also remember seeing her seated in the living room each night, faithfully reading her Bible, um, until her eyes started to fail her, and she was no longer able to do so. My own, or Ruby, my grandma, she actually came to faith through witnessing the faith of her grandfather growing up. In a similar way, actually, she, told, she would often tell the story about sitting, um, or playing in her home in North Dakota and seeing her grandfather sitting on the porch reading his German Bible um, in their church newsletter letter frequently every day. Um, and she would choke up when talking about this, saying that he didn't say much to the kids, but he always read the Bible and she saw the way that he lived and she thought, hey, maybe there's something to that Bible he is always reading. I think this is such an important reminder that the people around us are watching how we interact with God and watching how we interact with the world around us. 
I actually have been struggling quite a bit over the past several months with a lot of anxiety and shame and self-doubt, and it has been difficult for me to connect with God during this time. I have been quick to push off prayer, um, kind of subconsciously telling myself that um, I'll be better equipped to come before God when I get a hold of my racing thoughts, my anxiety, my selfishness, or my inability to focus. On the days when I am struggling to come before God in prayer to read scripture regularly, um, I, I often think about the type of person my grandma was over the years um, and at the end of her life. And I am reminded that she became this person over decades and decades of leaning into the grace of God on a daily basis. Being sanctified into Christ's likeness is a lifelong process, and I am so grateful to have been able to witness the end of my grandmother's journey in order to see the kind of full transformation that God desires for each of us and how the, the importance of just showing up to Christ, showing up before God daily in prayer and in scripture reading and in community with others is key to like uh, having that transformation in my own life. Um, so yeah, that's the, the, short, the story I wanted to share today about my own faith and about how my grandma shaped that over the years. So thank you. All right, so I hope that you see the importance of surrounding yourself with other people who, when, when maybe you don't have the faith, that you can borrow faith from them. But I want to talk, I want to end today by talking about the my back. Uh, but I want to talk about the other side of it as well. Is I want you to remember that you have a great deal of influence on other people's faith as well. Uh, I mentioned earlier the obvious example, parents with your kids. That's easy to see. But I also want you to see that there are lots of other ways that you can impact the faith of the people around you. And... Um, as we end today, and I can't actually believe that I'm doing this because this actually goes against one of my core principles, is um, I try to avoid using acronyms um, or alliteration in my preaching, uh, mostly because I've just seen some pretty cringy ones at times. But as I, as I was preparing this, I, um, I just realized this is really easy. Now, on the, on the day when you don't have note sheets or you don't have PowerPoint or anything like that, you're just going to really have to visualize this, all right? And believe me, I'm not proud of this, but here it is, all right? We're going to talk about have a, how to have a team faith, T-E-A-M. Terrible, isn't it? I know, already. I'm, I'm just, I just, I warned you, all right? But, but it works, okay? How can you impact the faith of other people? The first way you can do it is by teaching, through teaching. Okay? And I have to admit, this is one of my favorites. There are pastors who are organizers. There are pastors who are leaders. There are pastors who are great at shepherding. I'm a teacher. That's, that's what I do. I love to present information in relevant ways. And so this is like one of my favorites, right? How do you influence people? You give them great information and help them to be able to utilize it. And that might be your gift as well. Most likely, if this is your gift, then not only do you love to teach, but you also love to learn. And so you're constantly gaining information. You are uh, watching videos, attending lectures, you're reading. You soak up as much information as you possibly can. Well, that information is not just for you to absorb. It's also for you to share. 
And it might mean just sitting down with a friend and talk about, talking about the book you've been reading. Maybe you read the book together and you learn together and, and do it that way. Uh, maybe you get their opinion and, uh, and you exchange ideas and that. Uh, some of the people who had the greatest influence in my life were Sunday school teachers. I don't, I have to tell you, I don't remember a single lesson that they taught me, but I remember them. And I do remember that what they taught me shaped me deeply. You know, so much so that even though I can't necessarily articulate the individual lessons, over the period of that time when I was growing up, it built on each other over and over and over, constant repetition from people who loved me. And it had a huge impact me on me growing up. There's actually no way to quantify that kind of influence, okay? So if you want to be on Team Faith, I guess, how about teaching Kids Park in the fall? How was that, Abby? Yeah, I, I got an amen. <laughs> or you don't have to be one of the lead teachers. You could, uh, you could also be one start out as a classroom helper and see if it's for you. Uh, it's a great way to pass on the faith to the next generation, all right? So that's just one way or a couple of ways that you can do that, but I, I don't think I probably need to belabor that point. You, you understand what I mean. You teach by sharing what you know with other people. Okay, here's the second one, staying with the team acronym. Again, I'm not proud of it. But another way you can share your faith is to encourage others. I, wanna, I want you to develop a very simple habit that I think can maybe transform your life, transform the life of other people, transform our community. If everybody learns this habit, I think it could have a huge impact on our church. Are you ready for it? It's very simple. Tell them. Right? Here's what I mean. Have you ever noticed, you know, maybe someone was up here sharing a testimony or doing something in the church or just you're hanging out with them and you notice something about them, about how maybe how talented they are or how great of character they have. You noticed uh, some kind of trait about them and you were just filled with gratitude or something like that. Have you ever had that experience before? Okay. Tell them. All right, it's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, how often do we experience that with other people and we just see how great they are, see the gifts that God has given them, and we just keep it to ourselves. We let the moment pass or we don't reach out and you know, make sure that we let them know uh, what we think about them. I, I can guarantee you that there are a significant number of people who are around you who are wondering if they really matter. They wonder if their life, if their gifts, if their hard work or their faith make any difference in the lives of other people. They need to know. So tell them, right? Make it a habit of something that you do. I've had a few times in my life, actually, and this happened to me with, with my mentor, who I'll talk about in a little bit. But I've had a, a number of times in my life where I've sat with someone and they've shared something with me and I've looked them in the eye and I, told them, I would tell them, I'm proud of you. I'm impressed with you. I think you're a great person. I love your faith. And I would see tears just stream down their face. And maybe it was just the right moment or maybe it was just something that they needed to have happen. Okay? And so I wonder, why is it so hard for us to give other people regular encouragement? Okay? Tell them. Every month, we do care cards and service. 
Okay, I don't know how many of you take the time to do that. In, well, I do know how many of you take the time to do that in the service. Some of you do, okay, but not everyone. But it's another good opportunity for you just to, to say something to someone, to tell someone. You realize that in all of Paul's letter, except the book of Galatians, and there's a reason for it, at the very beginning of the letter, he says, I thank God for you, right? How great it would be if we were a community of people who were continually saying to each other, I thank God for you because, okay? So, team faith, teach, encourage. Third, and this is the worst, okay? This is the worst of all of them, admonish, right? We never use that word, do we? Right? Okay, but I've heard it used a lot in church, and I think it's, that's probably a translation in Scripture too, so I'm going with it, all right? Admonish. All right. Admonish basically means to correct someone for their benefit. Now, we don't always correct people for their benefit. Sometimes we correct them to make ourselves feel superior to them, to feel smarter than them. Sometimes we correct them because we're annoyed that they're doing it again. You know, but admonishing someone is correcting them for their benefit. I've told this story before, uh, but I think it's a good one, so I'm going to tell it again, uh, of my mentor. Years ago, uh, early on in my ministry, when we lived in Iowa, I was sending out a weekly email to people, and it had to do with theology and politics and things like that. It was kind of snarky and, and kind of sharp-witted. And um, I was starting to sort of feel myself a little bit because it was pretty popular, at least with the people that I sent it. I didn't have thousands of people, but there were, I got a lot of good feedback on it, and I love good feedback. Well, I told my mentor that I was doing it, and uh, of course, he was interested in it, in what I was writing, and so I sent him a bunch of them. Okay, this was the day before you could just attach to an email or something like that. So I printed them out, and I sent them to him, and he read them on an airplane. And, uh, and he spent a lot of his years as an educator, and so he had a red pen. And, uh, and, uh, and he actually sent me the packet back. And, uh, and it had red pen on it, actually red pen, all over it. And, uh, and there was a note right on the beginning of the packet that he sent back to me, and it said, Dearest Corey, you are a sharp guy, but I cannot endorse this. It seems you've become a political mouth. And it cut me to the heart. It, it hurt a lot. But at the same time, I wasn't angry with him. I was actually maybe more disappointed with myself. I didn't resent him. And the reason I didn't resent him was because I knew that he loved him. I knew that he loved me. And so his words mattered to me. I knew that he always had my best interests in mind, and maybe even more importantly, he had the interests of the gospel in mind. And so what did I do? What, did I, what do you think I did? I stopped writing the email immediately. <laughs> and everyone was better off because of it. Sometimes the most selfish thing that we can do is to allow the people we love to continue to live or to do things in ways that are harmful to themselves or to the community around them. We Midwesterners, we don't like to do it very much. But sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is to give honest, gently honest feedback to guide people back onto the path that they should be walking. And I am eternally grateful for the people that I've had in my life 
who weren't afraid to say the thing that needed to be said in my life. Team faith. Teach, encourage, admonish. Then this is an easy one. Model. Model. Many years ago, NBA player who had a reputation for being kind of a bad boy, Charles Barkley. Some of you remember Charles Barkley. He's all over the place these days. Had a, had a reputation for fighting and partying and trash talking and, and all of that. And he made a commercial. I think it was a Nike commercial. Maybe some of you remember this. That said, I am not a role model. Do you remember that? Scott, you remember that one? Raheem, you probably remember that, right? Made this commercial, I am not a role model. And, and it came from people continually saying, you're a bad example for kids. And so, of course, he wanted to say, well, they shouldn't be looking to me anyway. I'm just an NBA player. You know, I'm not their mom. I'm not their dad. And, and so they made it into a, into a whole marketing campaign. I am not a role model. Well, here's the problem. Whether he th- liked it or not, he actually is a role model. When you're in the life of someone else, whether you're a celebrity or you're a parent or just someone in the church that kids are watching, you are a role model. People are watching us. Now, some people will interpret this to mean that if we don't have it, that if we can't live out faith the way it should be, then we just need to fake it. You know, if we don't have it inside, then we need to fake it because other people are watching us, okay? But I'm not, it's not a call to be fake, right? Because part of modeling faith is having the, uh, the humility to admit that we are not perfect and we don't always get it right. But by the grace of God, we can make progress every day that our intent is to live the way Jesus lived even when we don't always get it right. Sometimes that even means apologizing. I really love the way Ashley described her grandma because she said the most important thing is that she consistently lived out her faith. She saw her pray over meals, read her Bible, and most of all, saw that her faith was more than just a meaningless ritual to her. It was a daily relationship. And notice she also said, how did her grandma have faith? Because she saw it modeled in her, in her grandpa, right? She wasn't confused by a grandmother who said one thing on Sunday or said one thing and then lived another way. She wasn't confused by someone who lived one way in public and another way in private. She was influenced by someone who was consistent in their walk with the Lord. Grandmother, she learned her faith from her grandmother. Her grandmother learned her faith from her grandfather, reading his church newsletter every day, like you should be. I'm sure looking for ways to be involved, like teaching Kids Park. But that's how faith got passed down from generation to generation. Teach, encourage, admonish, model. If we continually do this if we recognize and i think this is the core of it is that we have to recognize that we have personal faith but it's not private faith you learn from others they learn from you and we build each other up according to our needs you need them and they need you lord we thank you for your word we thank you for this beautiful day with the sun perfect temperature shade and the church family gathered together And uh, as I think about the people in my life over the years who have invested in me, 
God, I, I pray that that would be a motivation for me. Maybe not the only motivation, but a significant motivation to know the impact of other people on my life so that I can see how much impact that I can have on other people's lives as well. And so I pray that we would be a church community who teaches each other, who encourages each other regularly, is willing to admonish each other, to correct when it's needed, and that we model a humble faith that even when we don't get it right, that we're willing to admit it and move closer to Jesus in everything that we do. And so, God, I pray that our faith, the faith of this church, would grow more and more each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve Him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.